What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. Today, we are going to kind of revisit a subject I covered probably like two years ago. The episode where I had covered this topic was done with (laughs) a fucking $12 mic, so the audio is shit. But the topic I'm speaking about right now is the quote-unquote conspiracy theory that Egyptians somehow made it to the United States and even further inland to Arizona and the Grand Canyon. We're going to talk about some news reports from way back in 1909. I'm going to tell you about a couple explorers and the Smithsonian and this whole fucking cover-up people talk about. There's a lot of shit to cover. So that's just going to be one of our little topics. We are also going to talk about a company the CIA is funding that is trying to bring back woolly mammoths. Now, if these twats at the CIA are involved in it, you know these nefarious motherfuckers are already thinking like 15 steps ahead and has nothing to do with woolly fucking mammoths. And later on, if we have time, we are going to talk about the airliner MH370, which vanished years ago. But recently, there is a video of the radar, actually Chinese fucking satellite radar. We're going to talk about the UAPs seen on this radar encircling this now missing airliner. And apparently this video was actually released right around the time that the airliner disappeared. But suddenly it's resurfaced and everybody wants to fucking talk about it. So we'll try to get to that. But in the meantime, sit back and get ready for this. We're going to be starting with the Egyptian conspiracy theory in the Grand Canyon. And I just kind of wanted to bring this up again because I was just at the Grand Canyon and the vastness of this place is just fucking mind-blowing. And there are definitely sections of the Grand Canyon that are no-go zones. I've seen videos of more recent explorers trying to get to the point where G.E. Kincaid who was the original explorer who supposedly found this Egyptian cave or tunnel, whatever the fuck you want to call it, complex. And when these people get pretty close, suddenly unmarked planes start swooping by. And this is a no-fly zone. There are also videos of straight-up black Apache attack helicopters buzzing around these people who are trying to get to this area of the Grand Canyon. Our lovely, benevolent government will say that it's blocked off because it's dangerous, and they're just looking out for our well-being. Yeah, I don't fucking buy that for a heartbeat. I'm not saying there's some fucking Egyptian complex, but I 100% don't believe the fucking government is blocking off this area because they care about our fucking well-being. So let's kind of go back to the start of this whole mystery back in 1909 and explore G.E. Kincaid. Going back all the way to April 5th, 1909, there was a front page story in the Arizona Gazette and it was reporting that a team of explorers had made an absolutely fucking mind-blowing discovery in the Grand Canyon. According to a lot of these stories, this little exploration team was funded by the Smithsonian Institute. In the actual article in the Gazette, the writer mentions crazy structures, hieroglyphics, And they're kind of being described in an Egyptian kind of way. 
But as we get further into this, there's lots of other descriptions of, say, like a Buddha type figure and all kinds of different ancient cultures that somehow ended up in what G.E. Kincaid called an amazing complex with the ability to support up to 50,000 people. So this fucking thing is huge. Here's actually a little excerpt from the article in the Arizona Gazette. It states, quote, the latest news of the progress of the explorations of what is now regarded by scientists as not only the oldest archaeological discovery in the United States, but one of those valuable in the world, which was mentioned some time ago in the Gazette and was brought to the city yesterday by G.E. Kincaid, the explorer who found the great underground citadel of the Grand Canyon during a trip from the Green River, Wyoming, down the Colorado, in a wooden boat to Yuma several months ago. So at this point to me, Kincaid just sounds like a pretty typical old school explorer. Fucking balls to the wall, let's get a wooden goddamn boat and sail down the Colorado River type of shit. According to the Gazette, Kincaid and other archeologists from the Smithsonian Institute, which by the way was financing the expedition, had made discoveries which almost conclusively prove that the race which inhabited this mysterious cavern hewn in solid rock by human hands, was of oriental origin, possibly from Egypt, tracing back to the Ramses. If their theories are borne out by the translation of the tablets, engraved with hieroglyphics, the mystery of the prehistoric peoples of North America, their ancient arts, who they were, and whence they came, will be solved. Egypt and the Nile, and Arizona and the Colorado, will be linked by a historical chain running back to ages, which staggers the wildest fancy of the fictionists. According to Kincaid, he states, the main passage is about 12 feet wide, narrowing to nine feet towards the farther end. About 57 feet from the entrance, the first side passages branch off to the right and the left, along which on both sides are a number of rooms about the size of ordinary living rooms of today though some are 30 by 40 feet square. He goes on to describe the ventilation this complex has and that the walls are about three feet, six inches in thickness. And all the reports I read, it all states this shit was done by hand. There's no fucking heavy equipment in the goddamn Grand Canyon fucking 2,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, whatever. So all of this shit he's describing, you have to imagine and imagine doing this shit by hand. Kincaid describes the passages that are chiseled or hewn as straight as could be laid out by an engineer. The ceilings of many of the rooms converge to a center. The side passages near the entrance run at a sharp angle from the main hallway, but toward the rear they gradually reach a right angle in direction. Kincaid actually like pulled out a fucking flashlight, he pulled out his revolver at some point, and he came to a room where he describes finding tools of all descriptions made of copper. The people undoubtedly knew the lost art of hardening this metal, which has been sought by chemicals for centuries without a result. So he's basically saying this old ass lost civilization has technology that we don't even actually have now. He goes on to describe that these people somehow had technology to smelt ores, but he was not able to find any trace of where or how this was done at all or explain the origin of the ore. So he just found a fucking smelting room and basically is assuming here, or maybe he knows, fuck, I don't know, that because there is charcoal and other material probably used in the process, 
There's also slag and stuff similar to Matt. And he is saying this kind of points to evidence that these people had the technology to smelt ore. Kincaid goes on to describe some figures, like carved figures that he discovered. He said he found the idol or image of the people's god sitting cross-legged with a lotus flower or lily in each hand. He said it kind of resembled Buddha, but just a little bit off, just not exactly right. He goes on to describe the statue as, quote, The cast of the face is oriental. The idol almost resembles Buddha. Though, the scientists are not certain as to what religious worship it represents. Taking into consideration everything found thus far, it is possible that this workshop most resembles the ancient people of Tibet. He actually found another room, like a quote-unquote burial room, and he describes this as tiers of mummies, each one occupying a separate hewn shelf. At the head of each is a small bench, on which is found copper cups and pieces of broken swords. Some of the mummies are covered with clay, and all are wrapped in a bark fabric. Interesting little side note about this area. Kincaid does state it was only men found in this chamber. No children and no women, so they kind of like assume this is some warrior's burial chamber. He says the urns or cups on the lower tiers are crude, while as the higher shelves are reached, the urns are finer in design, showing a later stage of civilization. Kincaid goes to describe some of the hieroglyphic shit he found. He said, on all of the urns or walls over the doorways, tablets of stone which were found by the image are the mysterious hieroglyphics, the key to which the Smithsonian Institute hopes yet to discover. The engraving on the tablet probably has something to do with the religion of the people. Similar hieroglyphics have been found in southern Arizona. Among the pictorial writings, only two animals are found. One is a prehistoric type. So Kincaid discovered all this shit, but he's kind of giving an interview to the Gazette. But he did kind of make it a point to describe how difficult it was to get to this spot. Check this out. Quote, First, I would impress that the cavern is nearly inaccessible. The entrance is 1,486 feet down the sheer canyon wall. It is also located on government land, and no visitor will be allowed there under penalty of trespass. The scientists wish to work unmolested, without the fear of archaeological discoveries being disturbed by curio or relic hunters. A trip there would be fruitless, and the visitor would be sent on his way. Well, it because later explorers basically give the same explanation. They get close to this area and suddenly the government fucking fed boys are there to tell you to get the fuck out of there or go to jail. One of the more recent explorers name is Jerry Willis. And from 1998 until 2001, Jerry sought to explain and identify the location of the quote lost city in the Grand Canyon. This was more myth than truth at the time, and it took several years for this dude to uncover documents telling everyone about this lost city and that it was actually real. And like I was saying earlier, a lot of people describe this as an Egyptian city in the Grand Canyon. But Jerry Willis actually thinks that this area has something more to do with Asia. Jerry actually has some videos on YouTube. I think he actually has his own website. And if you want to go check out what this guy says, he did get some video footage of this Apache fucking attack helicopter that kind of swooped them when they were trying to explore the area. But he's got some interesting shit to say, so go check it out if you want to dive deeper into this Grand Canyon mystery. 
Going back to that Arizona Gazette article for a second, there's a paragraph that states, quote, under the direction of Professor S.A. Jordan, the Smithsonian Institute is now prosecuting the most thorough explorations, which will be continued until the last link in the chain is forged, nearly a mile underground, about 1,480 feet below the surface. The long main passage has been delved into to find another mammoth chamber from which radiates scores of passageways, like the spokes of a wheel. So now that we have a kind of mentioned Professor S.A. Jordan of the Smithsonian Institute, that kind of leads us down another rabbit hole. The Smithsonian has publicly denied the story outright, and that's over 100 years later, and denied any records verifying the existence of Kincaid or Professor Jordan. Quote, the story also asserts that the Smithsonian archaeologist named S.A. Jordan returned with Kincaid to investigate the site. However, the Arizona Gazette appears to have been the only newspaper ever to have published the story. No records can confirm the existence of either Kincaid or Jordan. So, I mean, I don't know. If you've listened to some of my other episodes talking about the giants, there is a conspiracy theory that the Smithsonian has made a concerted effort from its inception to cover up certain archaeological finds. So this just kind of goes in the vein of that. Like I was saying earlier, the Smithsonian denies anybody by the name of S.A. Jordan ever worked for them or ever did any expeditions for them. But check out this little tidbit you can find in the United States Census. Going back and checking this shit out, the census lists Professor David Starr Jordan, who was affiliated with the Smithsonian Institute for 30 years, spanning the 1880s until 1910, which included expeditions upon the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon. If you go back in these records, Starr was not his given middle name, and it did not become legal until later in life when he selected it. Jordan served as a president of Stanford University and was a fervent believer in eugenics. Jordan's primitive pseudoscience and xenophobic paranoia led him to write the 1899 essay, quote, A Study of the Decay of Races Through the Survival of the Unfit, in which he illustrated his irrationality regarding, quote, race degeneration, and implored the effectuation of tremendous efforts designed to maintain, quote, racial unity. This motherfucker actually developed a sterilization program, which 100% he should have been charged with crimes against humanity, but apparently not. So some people kind of use this guy's fucking obsession with eugenics as a reason why the Smithsonian would cover up he ever worked for them, did expeditions for them, etc. Now there's a fucking paper trail of this Professor Jordan and the Smithsonian, which literally points to the Smithsonian is a fucking lying piece of shit federal organization. <laughs> there are parts of the Grand Canyon that are totally off limits to civilians. It is federally owned land and no one is allowed to go there. There's no fucking guided tours. You can't just fucking hike in. They will charge your ass with trespassing. And shocker, not shocker, these off-limit areas cover where G.E. Kincaid described the entrance to this, quote, Egyptian cave system. Hmm. Kincaid actually provides detail on how he got to this specific part that is now off-limits to us peasants. And he said he was journeying down the Colorado River in a boat, alone looking for mineral. 42 miles up the river from the El Tovar Crystal Canyon, 
I saw on the east wall stains in the sedimentary formation about 2,000 feet above the riverbed. There was no trail to this point, but I finally reached it with great difficulty. Above a shelf, which hid it from the view of the river, was the mouth of the cave. There are steps leading from this entrance some 30 yards to what was, at the time, the cavern which was inhabited, the level of the river. When I saw the chisel marks on the wall inside the entrance, I became interested, securing my gun, and I went in. During that trip, I went back several hundred feet along the main passage till I came to a crypt in which I discovered the mummies. He says he actually got a picture of this mummy by holding it up and then holding his flashlight on it and taking uh, pictures. He said he actually carried that picture down the Colorado to the Yuma from where he shipped them to Washington with details of discovery. So if this guy had this evidence, he fucking ships it back to the Smithsonian and suddenly the Smithsonian is funding a fucking expedition that they say they have no record of, which I don't buy. I mean, I'm not saying this shit is Egyptian, but I'm saying fuck the Smithsonian. <laughs> One interesting thing I found in the Gazette article was Kincaid basically stating among the discoveries no bones of animals have ever been found there. No skins, no clothing, no bedding. There were actually grain storage rooms as well. And apparently back when this Egyptian city in the Grand Canyon was, I guess, flourishing, this was like back in the day with hunter-gatherer shit. This wasn't like, you know, a fucking thousand years ago and people could cultivate crops and all that shit. This was thousands of years ago, supposedly the hunter-gather period that mainstream archaeology tells us. And speaking of mainstream archaeology, this is an official statement from the Smithsonian. Quote, The Smithsonian's Department of Archaeology has searched his files without finding any mention of a Professor Jordan, Kincaid, or lost Egyptian civilization in Arizona. Uh, apparently, they get a few inquiries per year about this whole fucking Egyptian shit in the Grand Canyon, and they have their nice little prepared statement, and I guarantee you, if somebody truly wanted to fucking research this shit, I'm sure they could find other connections to the Smithsonian from Kincaid and Jordan. Can we, like, get a hacker on that, please? Hey, hackers, <laughs> go fucking break into the Smithsonian database and see if there's any fun shit. If they have any type of records, that shit is going to be basically Fort Knox-style locked away. But hey, doesn't hurt to try, right? Another, probably just a little happy cow-winky-dink, is the name of some of the canyons and rock formations near this quote-unquote Egyptian cave. So the Egyptian connection is the area around 94 Mile Creek and Trinity Creek. And check out these names. There are sites like the Isis Temple, the Tower of Set, the Tower of Ra, Horus Temple, Osiris Temple, and even, you know, kind of a different type of connection, more so on the Asian thing. In the Haunted Canyon area, there are names such as Chipos Pyramid, the Buddha Cloister, Buddha Temple, Manu Temple, and the Shiva Temple. I mean, I'm sure that's just all a big old quinky dink, right guys? Just a little side note, the Isis Temple is more than 40 miles from the location given in the newspaper article, and there's different little areas in the Grand Canyon named after ancient Egyptian, Greek, Hindu, and Chinese gods and goddesses, but... Nobody knows who gave them these names, where the names came from, or why each specific area was named after each specific god. 
According to like mainstream archaeology, the first culture to occupy the valley were the Anasazi, who entered the region about 500 AD, hunting small game as well as raising corn and squash for the livelihood. By 1000 AD, their culture had advanced to the point where they began to develop their own distinctive pottery style advanced agricultural methods, and a unique form of dwelling known as the Pueblo. So that just kind of takes you back to G.E. Kincaid. He never fucking said this was an Egyptian cave. He never said these are Egyptian hieroglyphs. He made comparisons to the shit he says he found in the cave and what they knew of ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs, their gods, etc. So, I mean, is it possible that this cave does exist and G.E. Kincaid was actually just seeing the ruins of the Anasazi culture and not fucking Egyptian or Tibetan, some shit like that. I mean, it's definitely possible. It's just the fact that there seems to be a cover-up kind of going on with the Smithsonian and the Fed boys won't let anybody go explore here for your own safety. So as with most crazy conspiracy theories, you have to look at all of the little bits of evidence and get a picture of what's going on based upon that. And as with most conspiracies, there's not going to be a fucking smoking gun to prove the conspiracy one way or another. You have to take all of the information and then critically think about it and come to a decision. The site is supposedly located near a Navajo center, which is 100%, this is like commonly accepted, that the Navajo are one of the descendants of the Anasazi civilization. And an interesting little side note here, Anasazi means ancient one in the Navajo language. And an interesting little comparison here, in the Canyon de Shelley is this so-called mummy cave, the last known occupied Anasazi site in the area, situated in a large protective alcove about 300 feet above the canyon floor. Two adjacent caves harbor the remnants of a multi-story dwelling consisting of around 55 rooms and four ceremonial circular structures, possibly dating back to 1050. So that description of an accepted, like a mainstream archaeological accepted Anasazi site is very close to the description Kincaid gives of his quote-unquote Egyptian cave. So who fucking knows? We don't know because we can't fucking go there. Thank you, Fedboy. There is a lot of different videos on YouTube, like I was saying earlier. There are different websites on the internet that a lot of them are trying to debunk this shit, and some others are just like on the way other spectrum. They're just fucking believing literally everything <laughs> that's been said about this place over the last hundred years. And I don't know, I think like with most things, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So now we're going to talk about the CIA and their attempts to bring back woolly mammoths with taxpayer dollars nonetheless. The CIA is the latest investor in Colossal Biosciences, a company that wants to bring woolly mammoths and Tasmanian tigers back from extinction using DNA editing. And I'm getting this information from LiveScience.com. The CIA funds are actually coming from a capital investment firm run by the CIA called NQTEL, which I have covered fucking probably a year or two ago on this podcast and is just another branch of the CIA so they can, you know, clean money, wash money and get it where they want it to go without too much protest from Congress or the people. 
Now, apparently, the CIA gave this money to the Texas-based tech company called Colossal Biosciences. And if you go check out their website, the company's goal is to, quote, see the woolly mammoth thunder upon the tundra once again through the use of genetic engineering. <laughs> and that's like I just said, fucking editing DNA. Obviously, the CIA doesn't give a fuck about woolly mammoths or Tasmanian tigers running around the planet any longer. The CIA is kind of more interested in the genetic engineering technology that Colossal intends to develop. And according to an NQTEL senior official, quote, strategically, it's less about the mammoths and more about the capability. Can you just imagine what these fucking psychopaths could do with that kind of technology? Because you know if the CIA is involved, that shit's not going anywhere good. According to a blog post from NQTEL, they're stating that investing in this project will help the U.S. government to set the ethical as well as technological standards for genetic engineering technology and keep the U.S. a step ahead of competing nations that may also be interested in reading, writing, and altering genetic code. What the actual fuck? How could anybody read that and not see some nefarious ass shit down the road? I, I don't know. And these fucking genetic scientists who need a fucking straitjacket, they're calling this type of technology de-extinction projects. So yeah, I don't know. This article is actually from 2022. I have not heard any updates about this fucking woolly mammoth CIA project. I'll definitely be looking out for it because that is something to pay attention to. I just don't ever see anything really good coming from something the CIA has its dirty little hands involved in. Now it's time to move on to some alien shit. And I'm talking about what I, I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the episode with the flight MH370 from Malaysia Airlines that disappeared in 2014. 38 minutes after takeoff was the last time the crew had communicated with air traffic control. The aircraft was lost from the air traffic control secondary surveillance radar screen minutes later. So now that we're all on the same page about this aircraft, we are going to fast forward to now current times because there's an old video that has recently been circulating on social media and it shows three unidentified spherical objects flying around an airliner before it vanished into the sky. The poster went by Regicide Anon, and in the description, it is mentioned that this video appeared to be an alternate angle to the previously submitted SAT footage, satellite footage, which was published by the same user on May 19, 2014. The user noted that the latter video was received on March 12, 2014, Surprisingly, four days after MH370 disappeared, and I'll put a link to this video, and the video is of some fucking radar. Check this out, though. IB Times published an article on April 23rd, 2014, according to which Malaysia's Air Force chief said military radar detected a UFO in the area in the northern Malacca Strait at 2.15 a.m., about an hour after the plane had vanished from air traffic control screens. The newspaper article went on, quote, seeing the radar playback of the moments leading up to the plane's disappearance, one may forgive Malaysia Airlines for not being more forward in this case because the radar playback is not only baffling, it shows two distinct anomalies, as pointed out by Intrepid Citizen Reporter and U2 pop star, Dub Boo or Dub whatever. 
So if you watch the radar playback, it depicts dozens of planes in flight over the region at the time. And the first strange shit is seen in the lower left of the screen. A round object appears in the vicinity of Flight 370 amid several others. So it wasn't just 370 where the shit suddenly appeared. The radar does not automatically, quote, read it as an airplane. Suddenly, this round object takes the form of a plane on the radar screen and accelerates at a rate of speed that must be at least five times the speed of the surrounding planes, heading eastward over the South China Sea. And then just as suddenly as the object stops and appears and hovers in space. And just a little side note here. These supposed three UFOs that were recorded on radar actually came from Chinese military satellites. So I thought that was a little interesting here. So what I'm going to do, you guys, is actually post a link to a Reddit sub r slash UFO where some of the people break down this whole situation in a very easy to understand way. There's timestamps. They have the FLIR video. They have the satellite video, all of that shit. And they break it down pretty interestingly. And I don't know, if you want to check it out and maybe see this fucked up radar or FLIR video, check it out because it's pretty fucking next level. And not too many people can exactly explain why a whole ass plane just disappears from the radar like that. And like, what are these three fucking UAPs flying around it? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> I don't know, but I would love to know. And if you're fucking skeptical that this video is faked or some shit, go to the link I'm going to leave so you can see how this video has been authenticated because it's fucking mind-blowing. And I'm sure you're not going to hear any shit in the mainstream media about this footage. So seriously, go check it all out. If you find something while you guys are researching it, something really fucking interesting, shoot the info my way because it's a lot of shit to read. There's a lot of videos and it's going to take quite a while to go through everything, but I think it's definitely interesting and just weird enough that it warrants a good hard deep dive. All right, you guys, that's about it for this week's episode. I do have to say what's up to our top three downloading states, which are Indiana, California, and Texas. What's up, Indiana? You guys just came up and stole that first place from California. And what's up, Texas? I'm glad to see you guys are back in the top three. And then as far as our international peeps, we have Australia, the UK, Canada, and Ireland as our top four international downloaders. Thank everybody so much for listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate the cool fucking info you guys send my way. If you'd like, hit me up on Reddit on my sub, which is r slash vanished in the valley, or you can try to go to Instagram and I don't know, maybe send me a message. I fucking barely ever get them. And I think I get probably about 80% of the comments. So Go over there to Vanished Athena, and on that page, I actually have a link to my other page that I've been using more lately. As far as next week, we are going to be revisiting Heather Cameron and Redding. I've been talking to some people up there lately, uh, just kind of like refreshing everything that they know, what they know about Donnie Stroud and Daniel Lunsby, which I think, you know, they could have, may have had their grubby little messed out fingers on the disappearance and or murder of Heather Cameron. But yeah, we're going to be talking about that next week because Heather actually disappeared August 18th, 2012. So like I've told you in the past, we're going to fucking keep talking about Heather Cameron until the Reading PD or the Shasta County Sheriffs, those motherfuckers, 
decide to actually go hardcore and investigate. I mean, there's 911 calls, there's all kinds of shit that could have pointed them in the right direction to prosecute someone, yet no one's been prosecuted. Heather is still listed as missing. So, like I said, next week we will get into that a bit more. But until then, be aware, and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao.